0: Welcome back to the Syracuse Football Podcast. I'm Stephen Bailey, joined as always by Julian Wiggum. and we're here to break down the Orange's 35-17 loss at Florida State on Saturday. Another disappointing performance for the Orange offense. Seven sacks from a Florida State defensive line that that had, from a Florida State defense, defensive line hadn't recorded a sack in three weeks, uh, and, and a real shift on offense with Ryan Alexander leaving the program during the week. Uh, We're going to talk about all that. We're going to talk about wild cam acres, tearing up the SU defense, and kind of the outlook for the team moving forward. Uh, Before we dive in, I need you all to go subscribe on us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you listen to your podcasts on. Uh, If you'd like to purchase local advertising, you can contact Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069. All right, Julian, let's let's start with the Alexander situation, just because that kind of happened first. Uh... We broke the news here at Syracuse.com on Thursday, myself and Brent Axe, that Alexander, the redshirt senior graduate transfer from South Alabama, had decided to leave the program. Syracuse confirmed after we reported that. Um, And then after the game, I kind of was able to piece together some of what happened. Um, Matthew Bergeron, the freshman tackle who started in Alexander's place, said that he started in practice on Tuesday at right tackle, and Ryan was was at practice. Ryan did not come back to practice on Wednesday, and that's when – Some of the guys on the team at the very least learned that he was no longer with the program. Dino Baber said Alexander decided to quit the team, and he used the word quit twice before any changes were made up front. So, could be kind of some gray area there as far as when an actual change was made, but you know, clearly not something ideal for, for an orange offense, an offensive line that is really struggling. Uh, we've said it a bunch of times, but SU last in the nation uh, in sacks allowed and now have the second most penalties in the country. And I think the offensive line has been a big part of that. Like, what's your perspective, Julian, as a former player, to, to see another guy, a veteran on the team, quit in the middle of the season? Like, what effect do you think that has on a locker room?
1: So... The thought of quitting and and where it comes from, uh, a lot of these grad transfers, they come in off of the promise that they're going to either start or get a lot of playing time, right? Usually it's particularly starting. And when they kind of sense that that's been taken away and they're they're at a point where it's like, well, what am I doing here? Um, A lot of guys get to that selfish point, especially at a point where, uh, the season's kind of winding down, and things are trending. You know, looking like a, a, a bowl game may not be uh, possible at this point. Uh, it, it becomes a all right. This this situation isn't good for me anymore. Uh, why do this? Why contribute? And the idea is, I uh, and from a personal spot, guys probably thinking I got screwed. Let me leave and figure out my options now. And that seems to be what happened. And as a team, you're like. What the heck, dude? Like, we're trying to... We still are fighting for a bowl game. You, you, you're going to call the guy selfish. And you're going to, you know, echo the sentiments of Coach Davis. The guy quit. And whenever you have a group project, if someone just quit on your team because they don't like their new role, you're going to resent them. So I, I think throughout the locker room, the guy is, you know, we don't want that guy. We don't need that guy. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure there's been things said that uh, would never be said to a, a reporter or anybody else, but inside the locker room, it's, it's we, we don't have time to care about this guy. Uh, we're better off without him because we don't need those kinds of attitudes uh, going forward as we try to find a way to get to that sixth win. So I'm sure throughout the locker room, the thought is we don't want that guy. We don't need that guy. Uh, we'll keep pushing. And then the, the other thought is from Alexander's side is I wasn't going to benefit anymore from being a part of the team. My thought, though, when I first got to the news was why I why quit when you're a senior, a grad transfer, and you're, to, you're still going to try to find a way to get the NFL. Like, that, how do you make that work? Because I'm telling you, every college athlete who's ever started, they have an idea of going to the NFL. It's just a fact. So my thing is, why would you leave the team and just put an extra mark next to your name and for scouts to say, why would we even give this guy a chance? Whether that's a camp invite, a free agency contact, or contract, an uh, earned draft free agency contract, Whatever the case may be, why put yourself in that position? Because even if your tape and everything else doesn't uh, line up with the ideal candidate on on the offensive line, there's still opportunity, whether it's a pro day or interviews or whatever else, to give yourself an opportunity to convince one scout that will convince his coaches, yeah, we can bring this guy in and see what you can do. Maybe Syracuse wasn't giving him the correct coaching. Maybe we can give him an opportunity. So I, I really was baffled by the, the quitting thing because he did start. He was uh, all-conference honorable uh, mention in Sun There probably were going to be some NFL opportunities, but I really think he hurt himself and the team um, in terms of quitting because now there's that dot next to his name that's questionable whether uh, he has the attitude and the fortitude to continue playing at a higher level.
0: Yeah, you've got a little more optimism on the NFL side than me. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I, I just... You know, I haven't talked or spoken to Ryan. Ryan hasn't responded to anything. Uh, you know, so we don't have his perspective on this whole thing, which is, from a journalist perspective, is valuable. You know, you don't know what someone's going through, so I don't pretend to know everything Ryan Alexander has been dealing with. I, I can tell you this: he got beaten out by a redshirt freshman in camp, and Carlos Federello. And based on the way everything went during the week, like Syracuse was at the very least strongly considering playing a true freshman in Matthew Bergeron over him at right tackle. So. You know, I don't know about the, I don't know about the NFL. You really need to find a, an optimistic scout for that. Um, but that was kind of his situation. Um, Bergeron ended up starting at right tackle, and, and I actually, you know, for the standard you would expect, thought he played pretty well. He he didn't look. I don't think he looked worse than Alexander. I, I thought his pass sets weren't as deep. Um, I mean, there were obviously some mistakes up front. We saw Florida State attack Syracuse the same way Clemson did, the same way we've seen Maryland do it and, and, and some other teams in recent weeks. Uh, they do have a 3-4 front. We saw overload blitzes at the tackles, and they weren't picked up early. You know, it's something that that group has really struggled with, identifying where the pressure is coming and sliding the right way. And... You know, Tommy DeVito was sacked seven times. Uh, Syracuse is now has 42, and it's actually pulling away at the back of the pack there for most sacks in the country. Um, you know, Dino Baber said after the game he liked some of the things he saw from the offensive line late, and they did get two rushing touchdowns in the fourth quarter. The game was out of hand, kind of incredibly. Their first two rushing touchdowns against Power 5 opponents this year. Like, what was your, I guess, overall takeaway from the offense, Julian? Was it really... More just simply more of the same. Like we've we've talked about Syracuse having that weakness and teams exploiting them in the same way. Like, is there anything that you can take away from this game that really changes your outlook for the last four? No.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. It, that, for, for me, no. I, I'm kind of settled on. This is what it is. This is the team. Uh, this is what we have right now. Uh, again, when you have a bad offensive line, it's hard to fix. Really. Anything else up up front, or in terms of your offense, in terms of uh, timing with the quarterbacks and receivers, or rushing attack? Uh, I'm sure by that point, fourth quarter, you're starting to cycle. If you're Florida State, I'm cycling some young guys who've gotten a bit of playing time and throw them in there, see what they can do. And I'm sure that's what kind of contributed to uh, Syracuse managing to push the ball into the NFL of at the end a couple times in the game. Uh, throughout that Florida State game, I, I was sitting there like, man, this This team is just not good. That's that's the the face of it, and and that's kind of uh, where where I've settled. There there isn't much that Syracuse can do anymore to salvage the offensive line at this point. The only times I saw Syracuse even seem to be remotely successful was either, A, when the ball came out of Tommy Vito's hands in under three seconds, or, B, when the rushing attack, the first guy who was through the line missed. And then there seemed to be a little bit of success for the running back there, Moniel, and uh, sophomore, the young cat, uh, thick kid. J-
0: Jarveon Howard.
1: Jarveon Howard. Whenever they were able to find a guy to make a guy miss early on and then get through a hole, that seemed to be the only time that their run game was uh, any kind of successful. And in those instances, you can't just ask a running back every time and make a guy miss when he's already two yards into the backfield. Uh, so when they come up against Boston College and everyone else for the rest of the year, I, I it's it's one of those those game plans where I'm like, you know, this this isn't something that's gonna change. We've seen Syracuse lose this way, uh, for the last six weeks now. Um it's it's one of those things where you're constantly gonna watch the same thing over and over. And the only at this point, the only thing I'm looking forward to seeing is how does DeVito progress? Is is he still one playing? And is the ball coming out fast? Because that's going to be a developmental point for him next season as well. Getting that, Because the offensive line, again, with the experience, things will improve. But it will still be something that will be uh, in stress for Syracuse next season just because of the recruiting time it takes and how long it takes to develop linemen. So, as for DeVito, it's getting that short passing game. What do we have there? Uh, receivers who start to show downfield. And, again, this is another thing. Syracuse is hurting without a number one guy. I'm watching guys downfield. Um, I think it was Tristan Jackson in the end zone at one time. It was, it was a dry, it was a jump ball uh, up top. I think it was around the second quarter uh, near the end zone, or at least downfield. And the receiver can't come down with the ball. And I'm like, man, Steve would have caught that.
0: And it's like <laughs> the,
1: just, just small things where uh, Syracuse was able to get bailed out in the past, whether it was a jump ball to – Steve Dispel or Jamal Custis or a, a play where uh, – who was it? Um, I'm sorry, my memory is just going out. But uh, with, with Dunji – no, with, with Dunji coming out, rolling out of, out of out of the pocket, finding a way to make a play, uh, just guys just making play that could make plays, it's just not there for San right now. And whether it's the offensive line and guys just don't have the opportunity to or just the fact playmakers don't seem to be a part of the offense anymore – uh, that, that's just been a major setback, and I, my thinking preseason, I think a lot of people thought this too, was Tommy DeVito was stepping in. We had a whole bunch of guys last year who were making plays in the bowl game uh, and throughout the season, and it seemed like whoever was the number one receiver was going to go for 1,000 yards and have a big game. And that hasn't been the case, and I've had to reevaluate uh, for myself how this offense works because I thought it was just you stick them in there and they'll make plays. He stick the number one receiver in there. He'll catch ten stop routes a game and two deep balls. Go for 150 yards and ten catches. Put a quarterback in there. He'll throw the ball 30, 40 times, complete 40, 50, uh, 40, 30, 40 balls, and have a good game. And and that's not the case anymore. And it just seems to me that in, in terms of this offense, a lot of things are falling apart. And it's not as simple as we thought it was. This offensive line has certainly exposed a lot of of, uh, holes on this offense, but I really think from a talent perspective across the board, uh, Syracuse is in a a bond right now in terms of who they have, what they could do uh, to overcome this uh, going forward.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. I want to cite an an article by my colleague Nate Mink. He wrote last week, kind of, how did we get here with the offensive line? He talks about you know, graduating all the guys last year, which we've talked about, three starters, and obviously Sam Heckel's out, a couple guys who were medically disqualified, Colin Byrne didn't come back for his fifth year, maybe he's someone who you would trust to snap the ball here, um, and then the recruits who got away, and to me, I think so much of what we're seeing this year boils down to not landing the guys you targeted at the top of your offensive line. I'm gonna run through them really quick. Stuart Reese chose Mississippi State over Syracuse, I believe, on or before leading up to signing day. He was really considering SU three-year starter for Mississippi State. Josh Fed Jackson, we saw at NC State. Uh, he did he did not register as a true freshman, has been a two-year starter at guard for the Wolfpack. Tyron Hunt. Third-year guy at Maryland, hasn't cracked the lineup yet, but someone who Syracuse targeted. And Alex Polchowski has made 30 straight starts at right tackle for Illinois. And he is probably 31 now, and he is someone who Syracuse really, really wanted. Uh, He chose Illinois over SU and Vanderbilt. Um, Ryan Roberts, one more guy, is a starting tackle for Florida State, a graduate transfer that SU targeted and and ended up with Ryan Alexander. They actually wanted both of them. Um, So... That's a little bit on how we got here with the offensive line. As far as quarterback play, a few quick thoughts. Um, I, I don't think we're seeing Tommy DeVito really progress. And there's a number of reasons for that. First and foremost, the offensive line. Like, I'm not here to say that that's all on him. Uh, we've talked about this before in past episodes. He doesn't really have a guy on campus who knows how to play quarterback. Like, Kirk Martin hasn't played quarterback. The quarterback's coach was Dino's brother in law. Like, Sean, when Sean Lewis was here, Tommy and and Eric Dungy before him had someone to turn to and say, hey, here's here's what I would have seen here. Here's what I would have done here. Like, he has that firsthand experience. They don't have that right now. Um, And if you look at kind of, to me, there were two plays that jumped out to me initially from that game in the first half where I was like, wow, you know, what was Tommy doing there? There was a third and one where they tried a quick ball to the slot to Taj Harris. And the broadcast team was like, oh, maybe Taj wasn't ready for it because Tommy tucked it and took a sack. Well, no, if you actually look closely, Tommy's foot gets stepped on by an offensive lineman. So that's why he, he's starting to reach his shoulder back to launch, and his foot gets stepped on, and that's when he tucks. Now, I don't know if it's an on the offensive lineman. I can't tell you if Tommy took a misstep, but something to think about there because that's a play that I've seen talked about pretty heavily since the game Um, and then you talked about playmaking Tristan Jackson said he wants Tommy DeVito to try and be more of a playmaker and I think he means with his feet and 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 frankly that that has to happen just based on the way teams are playing them it's it's really not fair to anyone to have to for a pocket passer to really have to be that guy Um, and and we saw Tommy try and do that at the end of the first half rather than throwing the ball away and he got sacked and, and the Maybe it was a small game, and the clock ran out. So I, I think Tommy's really struggling to progress and take steps forward with this line and the coaching staff around him, and that is concerning over the long term because you want to put your, your best recruit of your era in a position to succeed and, like, literally everything around him. It, and we'll, You can add in the point you made about the receivers. That, too, is really working against his growth, so... Really stagnant point for the offense. Yeah, they moved the ball a little bit at the end. Maybe there's something that can help those young linemen. Again, you've got a true freshman and a redshirt freshman starting at tackle. Obviously, they, part of the reason they succeeded was Florida State stopped blitzing. They had some backups in. You know, there's there's a number of reasons behind it. But it's, oh man, it is, it is really getting ugly for the offense. I did want to touch on the defense quickly um, before we go to fan questions. Cam Akers is really, 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 really good. Um, we talked about <laughs> we, we we really hit the hit the nail on the head here, Julian, and you you especially. If he gets out of the tackle box, it is going to be yep. very hard to tackle him and he did and 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 <laughs> he did some surprising things along the way. We saw him go I think 2 for 2 as a passer. Um I mean he was he was slaying the rock out there in addition to to running for four touchdowns. He probably would have gotten another one if he didn't get hurt. He didn't play most of the fourth quarter. Um and he went to the locker room due to injury like did any of that surprise you and like are, are is that simply Personnel, or are we seeing Syracuse's defense break down a little bit from being leaned on so hard over the last month or so?
1: Well, it didn't surprise me because I've been in
0: games like,
1: oh, what it is about one playing at Florida State and and, and two just playing for Syracuse for so long. But I, I've just seen this game before. Uh, I've been in those games uh, and, and I've just seen it, you know, a, a thousand times in terms of a really talented team coming in and they're. Best player, just having a great game. And I kind of sense that uh, coming into this one. It's some, someone I just thought uh, was going to take off in terms of once he gets out of the tackle box. I've seen him playing well earlier on this season. I mean, what he was doing is doing similar defenses, decent, talented defenses. But once he's outside of the box and you're forcing secondary and linebacker guys to make tackles, which Syracuse really hasn't done at a, a great rate all year long, I kind of sense he'd be able to do these things, and again, the, the defensive line isn't that great of a run defense, in my opinion. Uh, I, I've seen several different backs finding ways to have success this year. I, I didn't think that they were going to have a, a huge game against them, and, and that seemed to be the case this week. Now, uh, again, I've, I've seen this a thousand times playing for Syracuse. Uh, it just—it just—I don't know what it is about it's really talented teams and, and their best players finding ways to make make plays like that. But uh, in terms of the the what was it, the Wildcat and him throwing the ball around. I was just like, what are we doing? Uh, this is this another case of what I call we're better than you offense, where you just start to roll out things that you typically wouldn't do. I'm sure against Miami, I don't think Florida State's going to be having their running backs thrown past. I, I just don't. Um, I think this is a case where they thought, you know, let's try something, see if it works, and then we'll keep it in the hip pocket in case we get in the binds. But I really think this was a, a game where they thought, you know what? it's Syracuse, they're starting to dwindle. I think we'll have them tired. Let's try some things and see what we can do. And in that case, I just—I uh, was disappointed. Uh, tired of Syracuse being the guinea pig for uh, tape ideas. But uh, again, I think Cam—he was Acres—is a great player. Uh, I, I didn't—I—I I saw him being someone that Florida State leaned on throughout this game, and especially with their quarter change of quarterback. Uh, kind of knowing that Will Taggart was going to lean on his best players instead of trying to put the ball in a new guy's hand. Uh, It it didn't surprise me at all how successful Florida State was on the ground. And I I think that's going to be a point for Boston College as well as trying to just run the football and force Syracuse to make tackles. Because, because again, Syracuse is linebackers, and I don't think the team speed is where it was in the past. And when it comes to running the ball and getting outside those tackles, that's what you have to rely on. Syracuse right now, I, I really think for the rest of the year, if you took Syracuse's team and Boston College, Wake Forest, and rest, rest of the season, uh, if you lined all those guys up, I think BC, Wake Forest, uh, everybody left on the schedule, those guys would beat Syracuse in a race. I, I just think Syracuse is a slower team right now in terms of getting outside. If, if teams find a way to break that defensive line and force guys to make tackles, I, I think it's an advantage for
0: yeah, I definitely thought they looked sluggish early on defense. I mean that the, the cutback zone was a really nice play for Akers' first touchdown. But your best player, Allen Robinson, has him one on one and has two hands around him oh, cool. and doesn't bring him down. I mean, you know, you could you you could you could try and explain it in a number of ways, but the bottom line is their best guy. Just made your best guy look terrible. I mean, Cam Akers had a, a couple other runs early like that. I think he made three guys miss with one tackle. Um, you know, over the course of the game, I, I I don't think I don't think it was totally a matter of 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 effort. Like I do think there was an adjustment to that speed and some of the tackling got a little better. Yeah, the guys in the middle were getting pushed out of the way. There were a lot of holes um but it just felt like they weren't quite ready for cam to start and then you obviously saw another multi-pass play for a chunk gain from an opponent so that's i mean teams are kind of licking their chops because it seems like when they know they can run the ball syracuse is trying to be aggressive and that's where they're getting beat um you know we can get into the boston college stuff in the next episode but yeah aj dylan is really good and syracuse is going to be challenged there again um all right let's transition over to some fan questions First one from Daryl Albert. Steven, what is going on with the coaching staff? It seems to me that everything is absolutely just unraveling before our eyes. Does the season hurt our current recruits and future ones? Why are good O-linemen so hard to get? All right, sneaking like five questions into one tweet. I can respect that as someone who gets to ask the head coach like three questions a week. What is going on with this coaching staff? I think on the offensive side of the ball, they are puzzled. I mean, I, I think they have these pieces, and, and they don't know how to make them work, and they, they, they don't have a game-ready offensive line. I think it is fair to criticize most of those guys. Mike Kavanaugh for not getting those linemen ready and, and for bringing in Ryan Alexander. This offseason Who quit the team uh, Mike Lynch Play calling Has been a little stale they, they haven't found A way to make it work And Dino Babers too He's right there With Mike Lynch Trying to brainstorm Ways to make it work No it's not easy I'm not saying That these guys Necessarily all need To be fired Or anything like that But you know Part of your job Is making it work Dino prides himself On being able To get the most Out of his his talent And he he obviously Did a nice job Of shifting his scheme Toward Eric Dungy When he came in here So he needs to find A way to make make that work um, I think everyone on the offensive staff is really is really open to criticism the defensive side of the ball yeah like you can definitely nitpick some things um, but to, to me the offense is just uh, is, is unraveling before our eyes as you said Daryl and it goes with them does the season hurt our current recruits and future ones absolutely I mean it's, Syracuse really couldn 't cash in on that ten win season last year they brought in a couple guys that were a little better Lee Koba Mikel Jones. Um, Cornelius Nunn, they they kind of had high three-star guys to, to finish the class last year. But this year's class doesn't look any better than the last few. Um, yeah, it, it definitely hurt. Why are good old linemen so hard to get? Uh, there just aren't a lot of – we've talked about this a lot in the past, so that's kind of why I'm going through this quickly. Like it, There aren't a lot of physically ready – high school seniors, and those ones usually yep. go to the biggest schools. So you need to find guys who you think you can develop, be it a tight end who you think is going to grow into a tackle, be it a smaller guy who a couple years in the system is going to be big enough and strong enough to play, you like how smart he is, be it a really, really big guy who you think you can trim down and get in a position to move the way you want in your tempo offense. It's hard. And again, I listed those five guys who Syracuse missed on. Three or four of them are starting. I think three of them are multi-year starters. So, so much to me of this, the struggle this year, the more I kind of look at it and think about it, is recruiting misses, is not being able to bring in guys who, who you think – can win for you, and that's why you have three first-year starters right now this year. And you're starting, like, Matthew Bergeron is the first true freshman tackle to start at Syracuse since Quinn Ojanaka in 2002. That's 17 years. Only four guys since, I believe, 1986 have started for Syracuse in the offensive line as true freshmen. And it doesn't happen when a guy is really, really good. It happens when you don't have a better option. Um, So to me, I I think so much of that traces back to recruiting, Uh, Christian Leagrand, question for Julian. Seems like the secondary is out of position a lot. Is that scheme or guys not knowing where to be?
1: Uh, In that case, uh, guys not knowing where to be. The scheme's been in place for a number of years. And most guys here, uh, they've been playing for two, three, four years' experience. Uh, These guys know know what to do. Uh, They just don't seem to be executing. Uh, There was a couple plays uh, against Florida State. I could really point to throughout the year... Uh, guys, just sitting in zones really, and teams cross them up. Whether that's RPO action, whether that's uh, just a simple play action, or just playing his zone and not know who to cover at times. Uh, whether that's communication, uh, this, this just it has been a good mix of uh, the scheme not helping them, but in this case, I, I'm going with the players. Guy, I personally would say guys have been not haven't been communicating the way they should be. Um, a lot of guys looking around, saying, "Oh." Where were you supposed to be? And a lot of orange being thrown up in the air. So in this instance, I've been disappointed with the couple. Of, I personally thought the secondary hasn't been terrible, uh, but in the cases where they do have made mistakes, uh, I, I certainly put on the players just making mistakes rather than the scheme not being. There. I think it's been in place. I think they've been, for the most part, the coaching staff has done a great job of getting these guys from back. in I can think back to 2016 uh, when every other day it seemed like I was going after. Uh, why is this guy twenty yards downfield and no one's covering? At least now, when they get beat, they're only two yards away from him, rather than fifteen. So um, I, I think the, the scheme itself, in terms of guys understanding it, has actually improved. Um, execution has lacked, and I think that's been a that's a part of guys either a are tired from being on the field all the time. Uh, they, I, I'm sure their defensive time possession is much higher than it was uh, last year because of all the three and outs they had on offense. Uh, it seems like when I ever go get a call up, I'm like dang man just got the ball back what happened so um, I'm sure most of it contributes to them being on the field more often but it's certainly players out of position more so than the scheme putting them in a bad, bad spot
0: yeah and they've obviously had injuries too Not, to, I mean that doesn't alleviate some of the mental mistakes, but obviously Trill Williams is hurt, Andre Sisco of Fatu who have missed games. Uh, I agree with you, I don't think the secondary has been that bad. Again, when you have issues stopping the run up front, your secondary is going to get hung out to dry uh, a little bit. So been, there have certainly been mistakes, but if, if you asked me what the five biggest issues are with this team, that wouldn't be one of them. Um, second question from Christian And it kind of ties into it The next question Offensively do we have a chance Of scoring more than 20 points Versus BC And then Brian asks How can anyone make this team A favorite to beat any Power 5 school Syracuse is a 2.5 point favorite Against BC right now um, So I would say yes They have a chance of scoring More than 20 points BC's pass rush is Very very ineffective uh, That could be a product Of not having played Syracuse yet <laughs> I think I think they are going to tack on some sacks Florida State's D-line did didn't have a sack in three weeks before this weekend and the Seminoles sacked Syracuse seven times so you know I, I it's not the same as going up against Pitt or NC State but I do think they will have more success than they usually do um I I, I don't know you know Dino Babers seemed to have some genuine optimism that that offensive line could take a step forward with the rushing success it had after the game obviously BC's AJ Dillon is is an absolute monster um, you know, probably in that top three running back group in, in the ACC with Cam Akers and Travis Etienne. Um, so in theory, he's, he could slow down the game a little bit, and, and I think Syracuse's defense will struggle to stop him. But if you're asking them why they're favorites, I mean, obviously they're home, so you get a few points there. BC's uh, passing defense has statistically been pretty bad. Syracuse has tried to pass the ball a lot. So to me, that's how you get those. But uh, I mean, I'm going to have to do a little more research right now. I have a hard time picking Syracuse to beat anybody uh last question rob ackerman two of the last three years have been disasters in november I've, honestly you can go back even before that probably like four of the last five years just taking obviously since last year syracuse lost like i don't have the number up in front of me but like 15 straight games in november so it's been a bad month aside from last year what reason do we have that players haven't tossed in the towel on this year's november schedule what do you think julian
1: there's still a bowl game on the table. Syracuse is with 3-5 yep. currently right now. Yep. So there's still a bowl game on the table. Uh, and I, I don't know the statistics behind it, but I think there's still opportunities, even if you're 5-7 and seven at this point, with all the ESPN-created bowl games uh, for teams to get in. So there's still certainly something to play for. Um, but, again, this is a spot where, and I don't know, and I'm not accusing anybody of this team, I don't know, very many guys on this team. The teams I played on, I played on, we got to a point where we knew there were certain games we were just not winning. So if it was, if this was a 20, say, 2014 team, team, and we had Wake Forest who we knew we probably weren't going to beat, uh, and who was the last? I don't know. But, um, but it, it was a point where we're sitting and thinking, all right, some guys are already booking their tickets out. And the ones who booked their tickets out, I can promise you, weren't making many tackles in the rest of the rest of the year. <laughs> they weren't running the route all that hard because they were ready to go home. So, in this is how much do you guys want to play in the bowl game. I think that there's a value for guys on these teams to actually want to go to bowl games. Uh, I never personally, I hate bowl games. Didn't want to play in them. Never had any interest in them. But um, I'm, I'm sure that guys want to get to that. Six-win mark. They want to make a bowl game, so their effort still there. But once Syracuse is officially out of the bowl race, that's when we're going to start seeing guys start taking shoddy tackles. That's when you see uh, deep balls are going to be overthrown when a guy probably could have got there, but he's not going to run it that hard. Or you'll see your left or right guard. He's not going to pass that as deep as he might. Or he's not going to make try to make that push as as hard as he could because. What what's the what's the reward here? The the thought is, oh, we're out, we're done. So once I think Syracuse gets to the point where they're completely out of it, that's when you might see guys start to kind of take plays off. But for now, I mean, there's there's still opportunities out there. Um, And Boston College is, for whatever reason, still seen as a rivalry game inside of locker rooms and around around the Syracuse area. So teams to uh, at least. Guys around the program get up for that game, and I, I think people are still going to uh, put effort out, but it, it, it's one of those situations where you're like, oh, we're getting into that November grind. Guys are certainly injured, certainly you know hurting at this point, so effort is going to be something to keep an eye out for because if it's not there, I, I really think there's a lot of blowout potential for we'll teams at the end of these
0: season. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I, I do think we'll see the guys engaged for the BC game. And if Syracuse wins, you know after that road games with Duke and with Louisville are, are going to be tough, especially Louisville. The Cardinals look good under Scott Satterfield as a first year coach, um, and then you see if you have a chance to make a bowl against Wake Forest at the end. Um, like you said, Julian, that there is a chance they could get in at five and seven based on APR. That landscape is just kind of starting to take form. There are a couple extra bowl games this year, so so maybe you get in on five and seven. H- how much do guys want to get in as a five and seven team? I don't know. <laughs> Coming off 10 wins, we'll see. You don't. Yeah. And
1: if you're 5-7, you want to go home.
0: <laughs> Playing a bowl game is punishment. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can understand that perspective and, and wouldn't mind a December off myself. <laughs> uh, all right, that's all we got for today. We're going to dive into the BC game a little later this week. Again, please go subscribe to us itunes spotify stitcher whatever you listen to your podcasts on and you can purchase advertising by calling dylan carpenter at 315-470-6069 we'll talk to you soon